0: We are now gonna get into our series From Murderer to Missionary, so prepare your hearts, get your notebooks and pens ready, and let's get ready to hear a word from God this morning. You today. I'm glad that we get to be together and that we get to open God's Word together. This is the third week of our series on the life of Paul, and every year we take one of the men or women of God from the Bible and we talk through their life. We've been talking this series about a man named Paul, uh, who also appears in scripture by the name Saul. And that was his name in his life before he met Jesus. And we've just been talking through everything about him. And kind of one of the surprising things about him is that he was a, a, a Jewish man who was highly, highly educated, who was uh, adamantly against Christianity and was. Uh, putting Christians in prison and helping to uh, participate and, and, uh, and, and was there while they were being murdered for being Christians and that was his life until he met Jesus and he spent the rest of his life telling everybody that Jesus was real, that he really was the Messiah, the sent one from God and spent the rest of his life serving him and following him and starting churches So went from shutting down churches and killing Christians to starting churches and helping other people become Christians and follow Jesus. Amazing, amazing transformation in his life. No different than the transformation in many of your lives. It's a miracle that you've walked away from the past that you were living in to the, the present and the future you now have, a future serving Jesus, following him, Saved and forgiven by him. And uh, the fact that you have a future at all is a great testimony of the good things that Jesus has done. If you're here this morning, you've never heard about Jesus, given your life to Jesus, um, even thought about Jesus, that's what we're inviting you to today. And um, you you don't have to believe like us to come and participate in our services and to get involved in our church. We want to be a place where you can Ask those questions, and ultimately, we hope to be a part of your story. That you will have the opportunity to experience and know Jesus as we have, and uh, and we we'll get to celebrate that with you. So that's our end game. That's what we're hoping that we'll get to introduce you to Him, and uh, no other motivation other than that. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Galatians chapter one, and what we're going to be reading is the writings of Paul. So. Paul uh, wrote uh, a few different places in scripture, which I'll I'll mention later, but he wrote a bunch of letters to churches, and in Galatians chapter one, he's writing to the Christians in the city of Galatia. So if he were writing a letter to us, he could be, you know, this book of the Bible could have been called Dover or Milton or Plymouth because um, he was writing to the people in the church in those cities. And as you're opening up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1, just want to let all of everybody at our Plymouth location know that it's Pastor Stephen's birthday today, so go ahead and blow him a kiss if you're in <laughs> service with us this morning. And uh, it's been a year since he's joined us on staff at Restoration Church, and I love him and Rinku and and their their and both their children, the one expected in November, and, the, and, and of course, Zaylin. Well, happy birthday, Pastor Stephen, and I will not sing for you because that's not a birthday present at all. Um, now, last week, we talked about Paul's conversion and the decision he made to follow Jesus, and we gave you an opportunity at the end of the service to, to, to follow Jesus, which, which many people did at our locations, which is very exciting. To, um, to uh, the main kind of the end of it was to receive your assignment. And there was, I mean, there was probably a dozen people in our services in Dover and another dozen in our other services of people who say, Yeah, that's I want to receive my assignment from God. I've, I've given my life to Him and now I want to live out my purposes for Him. And this week, we're focusing kind of a continuation of that. That Paul, when he had his life so transformed by Jesus in this three-day period, and he made the decision, all right, I'm following you, Jesus, he then immediately was baptized in the Holy Spirit and received his assignment. And his assignment was to bring the good news of Jesus to the non-Jews of the world, to the Gentiles. And up until this point where Paul received this assignment, they really had no understanding, the Christians of that day, they were all Jewish men and women who became Christians. They didn't know how it connected with people who weren't Jewish. It was just a big puzzle to them. And so when Paul came to Christ and he began their mission, you can read in his life, there was a lot of like kind of touch and go areas and we'll, we'll look at one of them today, but they were, they were a little bit unsure about how non-Jewish people, connected in with Jewish people and how they followed the Messiah, how they followed Jesus together in unison. What parts of of Judaism became part of a Christianity and what part of a a non-Jew Christian had to connect with Judaism. And that, honestly, that's still something that people wrestle with today. You know, and uh, even within the last year, I've had conversations with people like, shouldn't we be um, having church on Saturday? Because that's when the Jewish Sabbath is. And and this is still something people wrestle with. Paul was very, very clear. The apostles were very, very clear. Salvation comes through Jesus alone, not through any former Jewish law. And so if you're trying to follow rules in order to, in order to be connected with God, then you're missing out. We need to follow Jesus in order to be connected with God. And there's a big motivation in our life and there's a big, uh, there's a big freedom that comes from that. And if you need follow up, go back to last year in our grace series for further study on that. Well, Galatians chapter one, I wanna read Uh, Starting at verse number 13, again, this is Paul, the guy that we're talking about. This is his writing and a part of his letter to the church in Galatia. And he says in verse number 13, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. Pause right there. He was unable to do that. And any spiritual force, or any person that tries to come up against the church and destroy it, will never succeed. I've said this, and so far nobody's proved me wrong, and I don't think there's any way to prove me wrong, but since the day of Pentecost, where 120 believers were baptized in the Holy Spirit, and the church grew from 120 people to 3,000 people in a span of about an hour, uh, from that day forward, despite all of the persecutions and all of the attempts over history and all of the genocides and martyr and, and martyrs and everything that's happened, I don't believe the church has ever has ever decreased in number since that first day of Pentecost. The church has always increased, it's always been more believers, no matter what government to stand against it, whether it was the Romans, whether it was Nero, whether it was Um, uh, you know, an African dictatorship, whether it was a Cuban dictatorship, nothing has ever stopped the church from growing and nothing will ever be able to destroy the church. If you're a Christian and you go to church, that gives you a moment to just pause and rest. (sighs) We can relax a little bit. We can be diligent, we can be watchful, but we can relax a little bit. No matter what persecution comes, the good news of Jesus will always keep moving forward. It will always keep moving forward. I'm going to really run out of time here if I do that much more. Verse number 14, I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. He wasn't someone who just said he was Jewish. He diligently followed it. But even before I was born, God chose me, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, and we talked about that moment last week, when this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia, and, then, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I met at that time was James, the Lord's brother. That was Jesus's earthly brother. I declared before God that what I'm writing to you is not a lie. After that visit, I went north to the provinces of Syria and Cilicia, and still the churches in Christ that are in Judea didn't know me personally. He's still a no name. All they knew was that people were saying, The one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. His testimony was an encouragement to the entire church because. They realize, wait a minute, if our greatest, if the person who opposed us the greatest is now a follower, then the the mother-in-law I'm praying for, then the kid I'm praying for, then the coworker I'm praying for, they can know Jesus too. And it puts a confidence in our prayer not not kind of a begging or questioning or a, and it, we and we don't end up dismissing people. Say, oh, they're too far from God. They could never be reached from God. They could never, we realize, wait a minute, if Paul can know Jesus and follow Jesus, then every person in our life can have the opportunity to know him and follow him as well. Now, let's talk through this morning's message. Today, we're talking about the preparation. Paul was called and given an assignment, and he went into a timeline of preparing for that calling. He was still active, he was still following Jesus, he was still, um, he was still doing the things God called him to do. But a period of between three years and potentially 14 years, where it was this preparation period in his, of his life. God was setting a foundation in his life that he would build greater ministry upon. And last week, as, you, as so many of you said, I wanna receive my assignment from God, and as the rest of you have said that already, God, I wanna live out your purposes in our life, we may not realize it, but we could be in a preparation period. And you wondering, you've been wondering why God hasn't been opening doors that he's spoken to you about, even if they were many years ago. You're wondering what God wants you to do next. And that kind of in between time is that preparation period that is very, very important to us. And it is very, very important to God. He is very deliberate in what he tells us to do. Now, I've got a quote here at the end of my message that I'm gonna share right now. Uh, Preseason football started, so I figured I'd share a Bill Belichick quote for you, and this seems like a better place than where I had at the end of my message. Bill Belichick says, talent sets the floor, character sets the ceiling. So a talented football player shows us minimally how good they will be, but their character shows us how great they will be God in this preparation period is building our character, is building our character. And this is a very, very important part of this process. You've received the assignment, now God's gonna prepare you for the assignment. Now, interesting thing here, Luke, who's the author of the book of Acts, which we've looked at and and, um, will look at again, Uh, in our message this morning. This is a historical account of the beginning of the church. And Paul, who's such a huge figure within Christianity and with the establishing of churches across three continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe, he, um, the beginning of his life, it's kind of interesting that Luke spends only 16 verses, one, six, 16 verses to talk about the first 14 years of Paul's Christian life and ministry. 16 verses to cover 14 years, but then he, spends 10, he, then he spends 16 chapters to cover the next 10 years of his life. So the first 14 years gets kind of a chapter's worth. The next decade gets 16 chapters worth. And what we see, one thing that it shows us this morning is that that preparation period leads to that that fruitful period. We're to take Paul's example as a model here and just be encouraged that our best and most important work has yet to come and to realize that God is preparing me for greater things. If you will stay engaged in that preparation process, God is preparing you for greater things. That goes for his church and Restoration Church. That goes for you as an individual. God is not done with you. Stay engaged to what he has for you. And even if you're someone, and I don't know everyone in all of our services today or who's joining us online, and maybe you're someone who's just, you blew up your life. You received your assignment, but your character wasn't very high, and you blew up your life and now you're looking at, looking at everything lost, looking at your life with regret, I just wanna tell you God's not done with you. His callings and His giftings are irrevocable. He doesn't take them back. And so if you'll step back into that preparation process, He'll begin to heal, He'll begin to clean up, He'll begin to help, He'll begin to restore you back into that assignment. So a couple of things about the preparation period that I want you to know and you can write down and you can remember. We look at Paul's life. One thing that we begin to see is that deep roots lead to amazing fruit. Paul accomplished traumatic, spectacular things over his lifetime, which was cut short because he was martyred, he was executed by the Roman government. But in his life, he wrote 13 of the New Testament books. He started in his lifetime between 14 and 20 churches, again, covering three continents, North Africa, Asia, and Europe, And he raised up many great leaders. Some of the ones that you may have heard of are Timothy, Epaphroditus, Silas, and Titus. Raised up leaders who, who continued his work after him and who multiplied his work. Now in his life, though, Paul experienced many terrible things and he lived through those things because of his desire to tell others about Jesus. So these were not self-inflicted wounds. It was not, Paul went through bankruptcy because he got three home equity mortgages and got more debt than he could, that he could take on. And so he was homeless and had to be a tent maker and all these bad things happened to him. These are not self-inflicted wounds. This was his decision to tell others about Jesus caused these things to happen in his life. Some of the things that we read about in scripture were, yeah. Three times he was beaten with rods. He spent five and a half years of his life in prison. Three times he went through shipwrecks. Uh, one time he was assaulted with stones, with rocks, as they tried to stone him, till they, they did think he, they killed him, and they left him at that point. And five times he received 39 lashes, and then he pretty much lived constantly with death threats. Every city he would go in, he'd begin to preach, he would receive death threats, and he'd have to leave. Oftentimes leaving under the cover of darkness, oftentimes leaving leaving absolutely bloodied. How did he manage to live through this without becoming bitter at God, without walking away from Jesus and say, yeah, I understand you called me to do this, but you didn't tell me it'd be so hard. I give up, I'm not gonna continue this. How did he do this? It was because of his preparation period. His preparation period, he dug deep roots, which brought amazing fruit in his life, all those things we read about, but those deep roots held him through every trial and every storm and every problem. And when we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, make my life better. Answer every prayer I ever ask. But it's not about Jesus, may I be an ambassador of you, which we talked about last week. God, may my faith sustain every storm, every trial, any persecution. May I truly follow you all the days of my life. It's a different prayer than make my, prayer, make my life better, Jesus. And when he doesn't, we say, well, I'm done with you then. Paul had deep roots that were rooted in scripture, that were rooted in Jesus, and he began to identify the true Reason to follow Jesus is to lead others to him, not just to have an assurance of the life after this one and not just to make everything better for us now. There, this three year period after his salvation where he was isolated in Arabia, You don't really understand completely what he was doing in Arabia, why he was there. And so there's a lot of um, kind of scholarly um, uh, guesses, educated guesses as to what to happen. Some think that he went and he was all alone and he just hung out there for three years studying the Torah, which is the Old Testament. And now he's spent his whole life studying the Old Testament, growing up in Jewish school and growing up uh, in, uh, as training to be a rabbi, and then now knew Jesus, now is going back and relooking at all those scriptures in light of knowing who Jesus was and knowing that Jesus was a fulfillment to everything he studied. Now, he definitely did that, but that wasn't all he did. And some believe that when he was told you're gonna, be go, you're gonna go in and you're gonna reach the Gentiles, the non-Jews. So he went east to reach Gentiles and non-Jews. And, um, and there was still Jewish people living in, uh, in, the, the, in the area of Babylon and Babylonian empire. And so he was going there and that was part of his process. Now, regardless of what happened, and some even speculate that Silas may have been fruit from this ministry, he ended up coming back to Damascus. So there's three years of, of leaving his hometown, of leaving, not even going to Jerusalem, and, and kind of going by himself, studying scripture, beginning to pursue and, and practice the call of God in his life. And then he returns. And then he's brought into prominence 14 years after his salvation. Now, kind of for us, this preparation period, for those of you who gave your life to Jesus last week or in the last couple of months, the most important thing you can do after the moment you decide to follow Jesus is to begin to read the Bible. This is the most important thing you can do putting down, this is how you put down deep roots, because there's gonna be a lot of temptation and a lot of people telling you in the future, that's not what the Bible really says. A lot of people telling you, you don't have to do that, you don't have to believe that, and there'll even be churches who tell you, you don't have to do that, you don't have to believe that, you don't have to act like that, and how do you know Who's telling the truth and who's not? How do you know what is truth and what isn't? We know that through scripture. We know that through the Bible, and really honestly, that's the only way we can know that. You can't know it by a Google search. You can't know it through a YouTube video. You can't know it from someone else's opinion. You have to study scripture for yourself. You have to read the Bible and know it for yourself. You have to. If you don't, you'll be uprooted. And you'll find yourself one day with deep roots, not in the kingdom of God, but in a false doctrine or a false Christianity or some gospel that looks and sounds like Christianity, but it isn't. Scripture is the way we, make, we're, we maintain that we're following Jesus and not following someone else. Not following someone else's idea. So if you don't have a Bible, we give them away for free because it's that important. It's that important for you to have your own copy of the Bible because I don't want you going by what I say I don't want you going by what the preacher on TV or the internet says. I want you going by what God's word says. And the Holy Spirit who fills you at salvation or indwells you at salvation helps you to follow God's word. And then after we're reading God's word on our own, then we use our circle leaders, our Christian friends, we use uh, uh, historical commentaries to make sure that what we're interpreting of the Bible is true, because you can misinterpret it. As a kind of a, a famous meme that goes around of, of one of those Hobby Lobby posters with a quote on it. It's all in script, and it sounds really encouraging, except it's a quote of the devil. It's <laughs> a, this quote that the devil spoke in the Bible, and if you're not paying attention, you could be following and hanging the words of the devil around your house um, uh, and not actually be following Jesus. So th- we use each other. We, we, we kind of bounce things off each other. And then, because Christianity now has been around for 2,000 years, we make sure that our modern interpretation of Scripture lines up with the historical and traditional interpretations of Scripture, What did the apostles say who followed Jesus? What did the church fathers say who were discipled by the apostles? What did they say? And if what we say, you know, and we're like, man, in 2020, we've now discovered what the Bible really means. And and somehow the apostles who walked with Jesus didn't, and the church fathers who were discipled by the apostles didn't, then probably we are wrong, not them. So we yield What we understand, according to the historical, traditional understanding of Scripture, and we don't say, oh, Netflix made a new documentary, so the Bible must be wrong, and 2,000 years of Bible teaching must be wrong. We yield to that. I feel like I should stop there for a second. So I'm gonna pause for a moment, because, so just Pardon me as I, as I uh, process in front of you, across multiple locations and online. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, in his writing, talks a lot about false doctrine. False doctrine is coming to understanding about Scripture or a belief in something that's not true. So a false doctrine, one that's not necessarily controversial, but it's like about angels. So you'll have church people who say, when you die, you go to heaven and become an angel. Well, that's a false doctrine, that's not true. Nowhere in scripture does it teach that. Um, uh, You know, something people say is that when someone passes away, oh, God needed them in heaven. Well, that's not true, that's a false doctrine. Some people say, you know, that um, God wants you to be rich, and He's gonna—you're gonna drive the nicest cars and have the best brand-name clothes. And well, that's not true. That's a false doctrine. Conversely, some people say that if you truly follow Jesus, then your church will be small, people will hate to come, and you will be poor. Well, that's not true. That's a false doctrine. And we, through studying Scripture, and, and I'm not perfect, we're not perfect, but it's when you yield yourself before the Bible. You say, search my heart, oh God, see if there's any anxious or impure thoughts in me, create in me a, cure, a clean heart, rebuke me, correct me, spiritual leaders in my life, rebuke me, correct me if I've gone off course, then we stay on course. But when you isolate yourself and say, I don't need church, faults false, Doctrine. I don't need to be a part of an organized religion to follow Jesus. False doctrine. We cannot just accept what everybody tells us to accept. We can only accept what God's Word says. And as we as we continue to move forward in history it'll be more and more challenge for you to just adjust what you believe in order to be accepted by those who don't believe. Our end goal is for Jesus to look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. If Paul were to adjust his message to avoid his beatings and his imprisonment and his ultimate martyrdom, he would have had to tweak his message by saying this, Jesus is one of many ways to heaven, which is a false doctrine. You can't yield, you cannot change your doctrine to be accepted amongst society because once you do, you've distanced yourself from God. You've gone on following a path that's not following. You're following something. It looks religious. You're using the name of Jesus, but you're not following Jesus. We'll continue. (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna roll through this quick. Second thing here, diligence leads to discovery. Acts chapter 11, 14 years, Paul's just kind of serving, preaching in his local synagogues, and then an amazing thing happens. Uh, Verse number 25, Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. Barnabas had met Saul later on, later, uh, er, earlier in history. He was the one who brought Saul, who brought Paul to Peter and to the disciples to introduce them and make that acquaintance because nobody wanted to, (laughs) nobody wanted to take the risk by admitting that they were actually a Christian because again, Paul was killing Christians. So you're not going to bring this guy who's known for killing Christians, hey, here's all the leaders and here's their home addresses. Here, why don't you come in? And then he just comes in with, with a shank. He's like, oh, apostles, I've been waiting for this moment. It's a joke. I'm going to kill you. And then he just like kills them all. So they were, they were a little bit skeptical, but Barnabas, who was this great elder statesman in the church, trusted Paul, put his life on the line, and then... It risked it risked it all to come and introduce him to others. Well, fast forward years in the future, he knows, he wants Paul and his team. Hey, I've got this ministry assignment. I want Paul. I'm gonna go find Paul and bring him with me. This is what happens. And then he brought Paul to Antioch where they served for a year together and then they began their missionary journey. And I think we're talking about that next week or the week after. Diligence leads to discovery, First, it's discovered by you. You prayed last week. God, I received your assignment. And now this week, you're like, I still don't know. <laughs> That's okay. You just be diligent in doing the things God calls you to do through reading scripture, through praying with other people, through joining a circle, through serving the church, just that diligence of saying, oh God, I'm just gonna be busy, I'm gonna do what you called me to do, uh, Ecclesiastes 9:10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, I'm gonna just be diligent, 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 and you will eventually discover your next assignment, or the assignment, or a greater assignment, or lesser assignment, but you'll, you'll discover what that is just because you're diligent. Secondly, you'll be discovered by others. The Barnabas is in your life. All of a sudden, show up and bring you, bring you on their team and help propel you into that next assignment. Abraham Lincoln said, I will prepare, and someday my chance will come, I'll prepare. God, I'm believing that you're gonna use me to reach my family. Well, you better start preparing now, reading scripture, praying for them, knowing Jesus. Last thing here, success leads to submission. Um, I think we can sometimes say it the other other way. Uh, Submission leads to success, which is true, but I think sometimes we think once we get and reach success, that submission doesn't need to happen anymore. So, you know, I think sometimes we think success is when you're at the top of the food chain and you report to no one. Success. <laughs> but when you achieve success in the kingdom, you still deliberately now place yourself under the authority of others. I think about this in my own life. I was 15 years old. I mean, I've attended a restoration church my whole life. And it was one night. It was a Sunday night at church or a Wednesday night at church. And, and me and Ryan were having this wrestling match in the church. And Ryan was, um, uh, we were both heavyweights, all right? <laughs> Ryan, we all knew, was the strongest kid at youth group. How did we know that? Because he was the only one with a criminal record. And... <laughs> And <laughs> I'm not joking. And so here we are, 15 years old, and we're like going at it, you know, wrestling in the church. And, um, and so I, I don't remember what happened. All I remember is we went through a wall. <laughs> and, and so we're like, the wall just broke. And I don't know, I don't know where he came from. But the other heavyweight of the church was the church with pastor who came out of nowhere like a bat out of hell. He like came out of nowhere. And I'll never forget this because you can't do this nowadays. All right. So if you're a kid growing up in church today, this is why people call you snowflakes. But no, the, he came out of nowhere and grabbed me by my collar and dragged me to his office and sat me down And um, I don't remember what happened next. (laughs) I don't remember much more of that meeting, but what I do remember is me and my dad being there during the week and fixing the hole in the drywall. (laughs) I remember that very clearly. And I could have at that point said, who is this guy to put his hands on me? Who is this guy to talk to me that way? Who is this guy to, to... Whatever, he's caused himself, he's passed, and I could have very easily become bitter at what I experienced, but instead I realized he's my pastor. I just put a hole in the wall in his church. Submit, yield, allow myself to be corrected, and because I didn't fight back or yell at him or because I made my dad come and help me fix the wall, you guys hired me later, well we didn't know that was in your background pastor that was only one time me and Ryan did that the other ones were just kind of was indented and you couldn't really tell so it stayed that way until I had to fix it when I was in my 20s after I became pastor youth pastor Galatians chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 Paul writing again then 14 years later Three years in Arabia, 14 years after that, he goes back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas and Titus came along too. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be the leaders of church and shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. This is one of the, uh, as far as leadership, this is one of the most amazing verses of scripture Here, this next part, I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all of my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. So here's what he's saying. I went and I shared with them the gospel message I'd been preaching because I was afraid I might have been telling people the wrong thing. So here's what I've been preaching these 14 years while I've been gone. Am I correct Is my assumptions correct? Is my study correct? Is my doctrine correct? Because if I'm wrong, oh, what have I been doing? And then in verse number nine, it says, in fact, James, Peter, and John, who were known as the pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me and they accepted Barnabas and me as their coworkers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. And then it says, the only thing they said of us, make sure you take care of the poor. And Paul said, yeah, absolutely. We will continue to do that. Paul, I mean, he's leading twenty churches. Uh, Peter, James, and John—they still are pretty much set up in Jerusalem. Paul has a much greater sphere of influence at this point, fourteen years later, than the than even Peter, James, and John do. But yet he comes before them. He says, "Hey, here's what I'm preaching." Am I right or am I wrong? If they told him he was wrong, what would he have done? Cause a fraction or a split in the church? No, he would, have, he would have received that correction. He would have repented, which is a church word for turn, turn and go a new direction. He would have cha- changed from what he was teaching to teaching what, they've, what they're telling him to teach. He would have corrected his error. And in our culture, For us as believers, this is the difference for us. Or this is maybe some of the biggest takeaway for us. If someone speaks something into our life we don't like, we leave. If I preach a message on a Sunday morning that you don't like or you you disagree with, you leave. You go find another church that preaches what you like and what you believe. If we're to truly Experience the kingdom of God. Then, the, then that happens by us allowing other people to speak into our life. Our circle leader, our Christian friend, our pastors, to say, hey, this is something that's going on in your life, but this scripture speaks against that. And then the response of the believer is to say, thank you. Thank you for showing me where I'm not following God in my life. I'm gonna follow God. I want, to, I want you to close your eyes and, uh, and we're, gonna, um, we're gonna pray here for a minute. There's a lot in today's message there's so much happening in, in, our, in our time today. I want, you to, I want you to just be aware and be, um, I remember a couple of things. Jesus loves you, all right, that's important. We never wanna forget that. Jesus has a process of preparation he wants to take you through. He wants you to put down deep roots that will survive any storm in every storm that you'll face in your life. And if you think, if this thing happens, I walk away from Jesus, you don't have deep roots. You need to get deeper roots. And, and part, of, part of that, part of him ultimately re- releasing you into that assignment that he has for you is having other people that can speak into your life. Who are those people for you? You're going to divorce your husband or divorce your wife, and the people around you are saying, I'm so proud of you, I'm so happy for you. Um, those aren't the people you want speaking into your life. Because even if it is biblically acceptable to divorce you're going to through. You want people who are there to mourn with you and help you, not who are cheering you on because that's some difficult, but just within a Christian relationship, husband and wife, I'm leaving my wife and then everybody's posting on Facebook, you go girl, or that, that you know, hey man, that's awesome, let's hit the bar, let's, you know. Um, you just wanna be thinking, who are the main inputs speaking into your life? Jesus, we love you. We yield ourselves to you. We yield ourselves before your Bible and scripture. We want to follow you. We want to follow your word. We don't want to follow our own opinions. We don't want to follow the opinions of, of society. We don't want to follow a false doctrine. We want to truly know you and truly follow you. Correct us where we're wrong, correct us where we're in error. And God, I just pray that our preparation period, whether we're 15 years old sitting in our pastor's office, whether we're um, you know, in, in Arabia, whether we're in a, a Bible college, whether we're um, in just a dead-end job, God, that preparation period, our roots will grow deep. And God, the deeper they get, the, the greater storms will. Will survive and God the, the, the amazing fruit that will happen as we'll see others come to know you as we'll see people enter the mission field as we'll see this world change. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you stand to your feet? We um we're just gonna sing just for a minute. Um and just allow you to have a moment, just talk to God where you're at, and then Pastor Jeremy,